Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 35 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 35 of uh, Inside Quizzing, Scott and I are going to be mostly talking about uh, the meet that was District Meet Number 5 uh, from Madras. It was just this last weekend, uh, just a couple of days ago, and uh, a lot of really awesome things ha- happened. We did not have Snowmageddon, although we almost had snow closing down a runway, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but fortunately, everyone is able to travel there safely and travel, travel back safely, at at least as far as I've heard so far, great fun was had at the meet. And uh, so we're going to be recapping some of that and then spend kind of the bulk of, of this episode actually talking about some of the questions that popped up during the meet. Uh, some of them are things that we've discovered as we were kind of going through the questions uh, in the quizzes, and some of them have been marked up. And I will have to, you know, give a very strong warning uh, or, or not warning. That's too strong of a word. Uh, I'll just let you guys know, I, for whatever, so in, we use uh, CBQZ, obviously we've been talking about that program. We use this, this web-based program to, uh, auto-generate the questions and, well, not the questions, but auto-generate the, 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 the structure of the questions and the structure of the meet. And we use it to track score to some degree. And if a question pops up that looks weird or invalid or something like that, or we encounter something that's incorrect, we can mark the question for edit, which basically we can throw in a little note for what's going, what we think is wrong with the question. And and it kind of parks it in the background for later. And so then after the meet, we can come back later and look at those marked questions and analyze them a little bit more. Uh, and it's fairly useful in that way. And so when you mark a question for edit during the course of a quiz, it sort of, it well, not sort of, it removes that question out of the selection pool for all the rooms. So then, uh, you know, if we encounter something that's invalid, all the rooms have that question withdrawn from selection for from any future quizzes for that meet until we're able to go back and, and address whatever was wrong with that question or determine if the comment itself was wrong. Well, I was in kind of a weird snarky mood. I don't know. If, uh, maybe it was flying down. I, I don't know what did it to me. It was the high altitude. That's when I, I had high altitude sickness. So I was in a very snarky mood on Friday and Saturday when I was uh, marking questions for edit. And normally I, I only mark maybe one or two, but I think I've marked several more than just one or two at this last meet. And uh, some of them I was just kind of snarky in my comments. So we'll be kind of work, walking through some of that uh, and see if I can remember what on earth I marked some of those as. We're also going to be talking about Great West coming up, uh, just an, a general update on that kind of stuff, and a little bit about things that are happening in next season, 2019 into 2020 and so forth. So with that all said... Let's talk about the actual quiz meet that was. So, Scott, what were your kind of highlights about the meet? Well, we had a great meet with not very many hitches to it. We had some hitches with the Wi-Fi holding up a few quizzes because CBQZ is web-based. But other than that, everything went according to plan. We had a new team in finals, which was awesome to see Gig Harbor get in there. We love it when new teams um, improve upon past meets and kind of make, make it in there to finals. And they actually did pretty well in finals for their first time. Uh, those are those are my initial thoughts right off the bat. Well, a couple of things from my perspective. Lunch was fantastic. Uh, I wanted to really, you know, plus plus kudo points to uh, Christine and all of the folks at Madras who hosted. I think they did a fantastic job. And they really did spoil us. Uh, and we uh, thoroughly enjoyed being spoiled. And that was fantastic. 
Um, it was also a great location. Uh, I love just sort of, um, sort of the landscape of Madras is very, um, it's very pretty. It has a sort of a, a stark beauty to it, uh, both when it is not snow covered or in this case, uh, this last weekend when it was snow covered. And it was fantastic to be able to see that. Yeah, Madras is a good location for a meet. I don't know how the other three quiz rooms were, but room one had a good setup, good space for the quizzers, and it was pretty quiet. So some churches that are of similar size to Madras, so pretty small, can be pretty loud in room one, but room one was nice and quiet. How was room two? Room two was actually fairly quiet as well. Um, we were upstairs, uh, so we had a spectacular view of, of Mount Hood. So literally from without even like turning my neck or, or anything, just from where I was sitting as the, you know, behind the table, I could look up and I could see through this, uh, you know, kind of tall, uh, window and out there was, uh, the, the Madras countryside and Mount Hood way off in the background. And it was absolutely breathtaking and beautiful. Uh, the room did get very toasty. Uh, Friday, and we tried opening a uh, window or the window and, uh, you know, tried to do what we could to keep the temperature down, but it was, it was quite warm. Uh, fortunately, Saturday, it did not get quite as warm. So uh, it worked out uh, pretty well in the end. And it was actually a fantastic space. We actually kept the, the door open uh, to the back of the room most of the time to try to get ventilation. And even with the door open, uh, it really didn't get all that super loud. Uh, there were, you know, occasionally we would hear people downstairs, but it really was not very loud at all. And which, you know, for a church as small as Madras is, uh, that is, you know, this a bit surprising and very pleasantly so. That's wonderful. Because this is the last of our five district meets, at the end of the meet, we did find out who our 20 Great West qualifiers are. So we know them. We have nine. Nine of the 20 have been to Great West before, but 11 of them have not. We have, in perhaps un- unfortunately, we have 12 Great West veterans that either did not qualify this year or qualified but are unable to go. But it just shows that there's an ebb and flow over a quizzer's career. But I'm excited for the nine Great West veterans to provide some experience to our 11 rookies. And it's great for those rookies to have their first experience of a really elite level of quizzing. We also found out who our 15 teams are for district championships. We Just for this year, we decreased the number of teams qualifying for district championships from 18 to 15. Kind of resetting that number since our district is a little bit smaller than it was when the 18 number was first set. So district champs is a little more exclusive this year, and because of that, the competition level should be very high. We are going to be having that at a hotel in Kelso, Washington. So it's both a little more exclusive and competitive, and it will also be kind of a destination uh, because it will be at a hotel. So that should be a fun district championships in, oh, what's that, probably seven weeks no, more like two months from now. Just a little more than two months. No, I'm doing the, a little more than a month from now. <laughs> and because it's the end of our fifth meet, which is the last meet where all the teams are together, we um, kind of honored and brought up to the stage our 11 graduating seniors. So we hate to see them leave, but that's just part of the program. They come in as sixth or seventh graders or young kids, and then they, they grow up and they head off to wherever they're going to continue their life next. And hopefully it's geographically nearby so that they can hang around the program and be officials or coaches or um, other sorts of volunteers. Yeah, absolutely. And if any of you are amongst that group of 11 seniors, uh, any of you listeners right now, if you are amongst that group of 11 seniors, uh, please, please, I beg you, consider sticking around in the program in some capacity. 
uh, you know, a, a coach, assistant coach, scorekeeper, quiz master, whatever it happens to be, uh, you know, even if you can only do a little bit of, uh, you know, if you're heading, heading into a busy college schedule and you don't have a lot of time, we'll find a job that you can do that doesn't take a lot of time. We want to make sure that you have a connection still with quizzing because I think the quizzing program dramatically benefits uh, by your involvement, continued involvement after uh, graduating as a quizzer. Definitely. We love to have quizzers stick around. Shall we hit some of our scenarios from the quiz meet? Yeah, let's uh, let's hit them off. So uh, the first one we're going to talk about is about the uh, Roman governor. Uh, so, uh, Scott, do you want to explain us into that one? Yeah, so in John 18, 28, there's the phrase, the palace of the Roman governor. And my question was, the palace of whom? And the quizzer said, Pilate. And you can look at verse, I think, 29, Pilate is referenced. doesn't look like he's re- referenced very closely before verse 28 at all. Um but you can surmise that the palace of the Roman governor is currently the palace of Pilate. And so I just didn't know how much as a quiz master should I be determining if the name the quizzer give, gave me is like wrong, wrong, or like maybe wrong, or not wrong, um, or just because it's not Roman governor, um, should I be like just counting them cor- incorrect at the moment that they say a name like Pilate? And then kind of secondarily, what if, you knew that the Roman governor was Pilate, but the the word Pilate did not appear in context. Could you call the quizzer wrong for going out of context by saying the palace of Pilate? Right. So here's the here's the trouble. The trouble is that we know that the Roman governor is Pilate. Um, it would be a lot easier uh, to rule on this if we actually didn't know that for certain. If there was some level of ambiguity... Uh, then we could say, well, Pilate is not within context. Uh, although I don't, I, here's the thing. I don't think saying Pilate puts you out of context. It's just a single word. Pilate occurs in several places within John. I don't think that pulls you out of context necessarily. Um, then, so then you basically, if you have some sort of ambiguity as to who the Roman governor is, then you could say, well, Pilate may or may not be it. So then you let them keep going. Maybe, uh, I don't know. But the thing is, the reality of this situation is we know that the answer is Roman governor. We know that Pilate is the name of the Roman governor. Pilate, because Roman governor, both those two words are, are unique, globally unique. They're both required in the answer. So the person, the, the quizzer is not correct by saying Pilate, but they are not incorrect by saying Pilate. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where they've got their thirty seconds, uh, and but they definitely have to say Roman governor. I don't know, Scott. What do you think? Um, I think I mostly agree with you. I think it is tough when I hear you say something like, "Well, we know it that Pilate is the Roman governor," because not all all situations like this will be as cut and dry, where it's just something that we know. Um, and I don't like to rely on knowing that to factor into whether I'm going to call a quizzer incorrect or let them keep answering. Yeah, it's too, it's too interpretive. Or, well, I don't know, interpretive isn't the right word. It requires contextual Bible knowledge. I don't know exactly how, to, how I want to describe it. And so it, it's like, because it requires more than just utter, literal reading of the, of the context that you're there, uh, that, that's what makes me kind of uncomfortable about being cool with it but i think but the reality is pilot is uh, is is the name of the guy so yeah i mean 30 seconds definitely should be given uh and then 
they would have the, the quizzer would have to answer Roman governor. Sure. It, it reminds me of kind of a slightly related scenario where there's the man who used to sit and beg, who's also referred to, I believe, as the man born blind and a man blind from birth and also referred to as the man. And sometimes maybe that person will be referred to with a proper name, you know, Joe or Dave or Jim. And sometimes all of those references to the same person are not in context of each other. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are when the same person is referred to, but in a different context. And sometimes it's something as kind of blah, generic as the man. And sometimes it's more specific, like man blind from birth. And what's the threshold for calling a quizzer out of context when they are referring to the correct person, but it's um, a reference from a different context? Yeah, because of the, of the phrasing. That's a really tough question. And this is something I think we should raise to the CQLT because it's it's very edge casey. And I can see a lot of different I can see a lot of different arguments with it. I can see on one hand, just the the, the simple fact of saying, OK, well, the same man who used to sit and beg is way more than one word. And if it only happens in one place and it is out of context based on the context rule from where you're asking the question, then it's like, okay, well, the person is out of context. But here's the thing, though. Are they correct before they're out of context, right? So if it's the man who was blind from birth and the same man who used to sit and beg, who is the same man, but the man, the same man who used to sit and beg is out of context, is the quizzer incorrect before they're correct or are they correct before they're incorrect? due to context. It's sort of like which one of those things trumps them, right? Because you could say, let's say that all of these things were within context, right? If you were saying the man, the, the man uh, blind from birth or the same man who used to sit and beg, if the answer is man blind from birth and the quizzer said, say, same man who used to sit and beg, and it's within the same verse, certainly within context, let's say, uh, could you not consider that challengeable if you count them incorrect? Like, is it really required that they get the phrase man blind from birth? Uh, they're so, really talking about the guy, right? Sure. And I've definitely had some arguments and people with different opinions, but I think there is some latitude given to the question writer on what they write as the answer. But once they choose, it's up to the quiz master to require that. So if in verse one, it's referred to like the man with the purple hat and in verse two, it's the man with the red shirt verse three, the man with the green pants. Well, if you're writing an interrogative from verse three and you're like, who went into town? And the question writer decided that the man from the green pants is the answer that I need. I don't think that the man in the purple hat or the man in the red shirt qualify as like acceptable to be correct. I think the quizzer needs to get to the written, (laughs) what's written there. Um, But I know not everyone, like, some people believe that the notion of a correct answer or what's required information is more objective. And so the quiz master should exercise a lot more latitude and judgment in changing a written answer or the information in a required answer to what they deem to be most correct, right? Um, so in my example, I, theoretically, a question writer could write an inter- that interrogative from verse 3 who went into town, but they want the answer given to be the man in the purple hat from two verses prior, which would be a weird way to write the question, but probably valid. And at the point that they do that, unless you think it's wildly misleading to require that description of the person, I don't think the quiz master should on the fly say, oh, no, I think that the description in verse three is what I I need. Um, And kind of in a similar vein, sometimes there is a description of a person with a, I I believe it's called a relative clause, like who went into town? And it's 
Jesus, comma, the Messiah of the world, comma. And a question writer could say, the answer to who, I just need Jesus. Or they could say, you know what, I, I need Jesus along with the whole modifying clause. And I don't think, like I've heard the challenge when the quizzer doesn't get that whole clause, they're like, well, I answered the interrogative word, which is who, I told you who. But to me, the question writer said, hey, I, I want this relative clause, it's more information, I want it required as part of the answer, and I don't think the quiz master should change that on the fly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but then pulling that back into the Roman governor pilot situation, the fact that it's only a single word pilot as opposed to same man who used to sit and beg, uh, it at what point we know that we can't call somebody out of context because of a single word, but how many words do we go before we count them out of context, right? So like, like we know with the pilot thing, that's insufficient, but if it's like... Conscious pilot or the governor pilot or like, you know, at, at some point we get to the whole, you know, same man who used to sit and beg. We say, well, that's clearly significant. But where's that bright line between one versus the other? Sure. And I, d I don't think there is. and I don't think there should be because the definition of context is going to be subjective. And I think if you attempt to make it objective, it's a whole can of can of worms. Because if you say X words in sequence from a different context causes you to be out of context, then you create all kinds of edge cases, which we do see with unique words, since unique words are now required. There is probably a percentage of unique words that don't carry a ton of meaning, but yet we're requiring quizzers to provide them, right? And But we're fine with that small percentage because of the large amount of objectivity it provides in rulings and quiz masters requiring them across the board. But I think if you start extending that to two, three, four, five word phrases, you're going to get a lot more um, edge cases that we don't want. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The The thing that I hate as a quiz master is just that amb ambiguity. At what point do I consider them, you know, truly out of context? At what point do they... Do, it, it's, it's hard for me if same man who used to sit and beg, if that's out of context and somebody says man uh, born blind from birth. Uh, or man blind from birth, it's really hard for me to, you know, and now, no, no, if there's, if there's other clauses that are required by the question, then I'm way more comfortable counting the person incorrect, right? Uh, but if it's purely just those answers, it's really hard for me to like, like say, well, yeah, it's several words here. It clearly puts them out of context, but golly, I really don't want to call them out of context when they're answering something really with the right answer, it's just not exactly the right answer. That's true, but I think we require a good amount of preci precision at various parts in Bible quizzing, and I think this is one place where um, it's the same person referred to in different ways in different contexts, and you got to know what context you're in and what's required. And I think a cool aspect of Bible quizzing is that we have question writers and we have quiz masters, and hopefully they're talking to each other and looking over questions with regularity. But then once questions are asked at a quiz meet, you have a challenge, you have rebuttal, you have protests, and then after the meet, you have quiz masters like you and I going back and talking about these. And that's all kind of intended to have good discussion about it and arrive at good rulings and close to consistent rulings. But I definitely think that a really well-worded challenge or a really well-worded rebuttal can sway a kind of a 50-50 argument or ruling one way in one room and if it's a poor challenge in another room it sways the other way 
And I think that's just part of quizzing. And I, yeah. that sort of inconsistency doesn't bother me. Well, and related to the whole, to the whole Roman governor pilot thing, where it, I feel uncomfortable with the requirement of, not interpretation, but the requirement of knowing things more than just the literal words that are right in front of you. And it sounds like you feel kind of the same way, right? Yeah, like... I kind of both want to just require the literal words in front of me, but also if you don't say the literal words, I'm generally going to call you incorrect, even if um, a lot of the meaning hasn't changed, because we're asking for a specific sequence of words and not necessarily a specific thematic um, meaning or message. Yeah, true. But the, the, the words themselves are not... Well, let me give you an example, right? So this this is somewhat related to the Roman governor Pilate thing from 1828. Uh, this is actually something that took place in Quiz 1, I think. Uh, I think it was Quiz 1 of Finals. Uh, it was from verse uh, 1021, and it was a, I believe it was a situation question. Uh, these are not the sayings of a man uh, possessed by a demon and, and the rest of the quote that's there. And the question asked for who said it? And the, uh, the, the answer was, uh, but others said, uh, or I think, and, and the, the, the question writer required, but others said, I think in looking at that, if somebody had said just the word others, I, I would have accepted that as, as correct. And the person said some Jews and then corrected themselves and said others. And I counted them incorrect because I said, well, some Jews is different than others uh, and not, you know, the, the, the actual words are different. Uh, and the, since Jews appears in 1019, I said the, the person is incorrect. I, or I'd had to take their, their first uh, answer as incorrect. And then um, Andrew uh, challenged and said, well, okay, well, hang on a second. In, in verse 19, the, the phrase starts, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. And then in 20, many of them are, are over here, but others are over here. So like in, so in 19, it's like the Jews as a big group, verse 20, some of them over here and, uh, verse 21, others over on this other side, right? Um, so many on the left and others on the right, let's say, of this big bubble of, of Jews. So ultimately, looking at it in the set of verses 19, 20, and 21, some Jews is actually not incorrect for both many of them said and but others said. They're, it's, it's not correct enough, but it's not wrong. Right. It's some of the group yes. of, of verse 19. Right. And so he challenged and I, I heard from the others and it was clear like like, oh, he he's he's absolutely right. So, you know, I accepted the challenge and um, I think that was Gig Harbor that, that answered the question. So Gig Harbor got the, the, the question correct. And I think that's the right ruling. But the thing is, that's not just strictly the words. It, it I have to understand the context of what others is talking about. Yeah. And I think. It's tough because in this case and in, like, the Roman gover governor pilot, like, it's pretty clear that others, like, Jews is not wrong when you're referring to others. Um, but you're right that some amount of interpretation is having to happen. Now, I definitely run into problems because in verse 20 it says many of them, and in verse 21 it says others, which are both kind of vague ways to refer to a group of people. And if the quizzer is answering the situation question from 21 and they said many of them, I want to count them incorrect because they're talking about the wrong group of people. 
But you could argue that meaning-wise, many of them is no different than others. And so they shouldn't be counted incorrect. They should just be allowed to continue answering. And I wouldn't like that, um, but you could, I could see that, that argument being made. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Well, that leads us to another one, um, which is, let's say it's an interrogative question or a situation question needing a who, and the quizzer answers like with a more general who. So like, let's say I need Mary, and the quizzer says sisters. And let's say I need Peter, and the, and the quizzer says disciples. Like in both those, both of those scenarios, I think the quizzer is incorrect when they say the more general word, um, even though we just talked about a scenario where they, they, them saying the more general word Jews does not make them incorrect, but they're still required to get to the more specific others. Well, let's, let's, uh, so there's one thing about this. There's the plural versus singular, right? So the Jews is plural and others is plural, right? But disciples is plural and Peter is singular. So what if we change it to be the sister or the disciple instead of Peter? Gotcha. Um, then I think it it would, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, a generic singular versus a specific singular. Then they, they would be, I would let them keep answering, but they would yeah, definitely ditto. get to, yeah, okay, yeah. I see that. I was thinking subset, but I, I see singular versus plural does matter. Yeah. Well, because I mean, that's the thing. If you said if you said disciples and it was only one disciple, then it's like, yeah, I think that's that's wrong. But if you say disciple singular and the answer is Peter, it's like, well, you're not you're not correct enough, but you're not wrong. Uh, Keep going. Sure. What about um, Peter versus Simon Peter? Would you accept either as correct or would you require the quizzer to get to the specific? Oh, gosh. So this is so if the answer is Peter and the and the quizzer said Simon Peter, I would. That would I would be fine with that. Um, sure. if, if the answer is Simon Peter and they only said Peter, oh golly, I think I would probably be okay with that too. But I would definitely let them run their thirty seconds and really hope that they got it. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree because the rule book's a little bit ambiguous on some of the deities. I will accept Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. All four of those possibilities as interchangeable. So if you say any one of them, they are good for any of the others. Um, But I don't necessarily extend that to other people. Although in this case, I I probably would take either Peter or Simon Peter as interchangeable. Yeah, I think I think one way is uh, I would accept very comfortably. And the other way I would accept very uncomfortable. I would squirm. (laughs) So then going on to 21, chapter 21, verses 2 and 3, there's, in verse 3, there's a reference to them. So let me pull it up real quick. So it's, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And the answer to them is, um, so it refers to Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And then Peter, out of that group, talks to them. Um, them being the rest of them, minus Peter. Now... I had a quizzer kind of stumble a little bit through all those different answers, and I didn't know if if the quizzer said, let's say, the 12 disciples, if that would be considered incorrect, or if they said specifically one of the disciples by name that wasn't referenced by name, would that make them incorrect? Because we have this ambiguous, you know, and two other disciples thrown in here. I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on how to navigate through a list of some proper names, some a little bit generic. <laughs> yeah, see, that's tricky. So 
here's kind of the interesting bit. If they said, well, I'll, I'll turn the t- question back around on you. So let's say I, uh, I get the question. It's, it, the, the quote is coming from verse three. The answer appears in verse two. Uh, the answer basically is verse two. Uh, mm-hmm. so what happens if you get to quote complete? I jump and I simply quote verse two. Am I wrong because I said Simon Peter? I, I don't think so. Because Simon Peter didn't tell them, including himself. Correct. Okay. I don't, I don't want to count the quiz or wrong for doing that. But Me now I need, either. <laughs> but, but now I need a way to reliably defend it based on the rule book. Um, I mean, I, you could go to the interpretation where if you're going to tell the quizzer that they can't say Simon Peter because the them obviously can't refer to Simon Peter because Simon Peter is the one saying the I'm going out, going out to fish. I think you could argue that that's interpretation required of the quizzers to parse who the them actually is. Although you could also say that any time a quizzer is asked to clarify a pronoun, they're having to interpret something. Exactly. Uh, and so I just, if they're quoting that whole verse, because uh, see, and this is argue- why, this is why we need the rule. If they can quote a, a verse word perfectly, they win because I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, like I, I, if, if, if the quizzer quotes verse two, perfectly i deeply don't want to count them wrong uh but i think technically i kind of have to i mean it kind of reminds me of how on key verse questions context is that verse but sometimes the verse breaks are a little weird and the quizzer might in their quoting run into the next verse mm-hmm. and if they if they don't have it word perfect yet then they're incorrect for going out of context the second they go into that other verse which is not which is not anyone's necessary intention of it, you know, even though you do want the quizzer to know the specific verse that they're supposed to be quoted. Uh, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. So let's, let's leave out the Simon Peter question because that, that's definitely a head scratcher. So then mm-hmm. going to the, 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 the question you posed to me, to be fair, like, and 12 other disciples were together. I, I got to count you incorrect. Um, sure. That's that's just too far beyond. Uh, if it's and other disciples, um, you're not incorrect. I don't think you're correct enough yet. I think I need two other disciples. If you name two other disciples, I don't think you are incorrect, but mm. you're not correct. See, I would take any proper name that's not in there as incorrect. Even if the proper name could be one of those two other mm. disciples, I don't, I don't think you're... I'm going to allow a quizzer to cycle through any proper names. Sure, but can you prove that they're wrong? See, this is where I go more to the the literal slash verbatim than the the meaning, right? Because and that's the thing. Like, I I don't think we can play both sides of the coin, though. Like, I think I think we either have to commit to the literal words and no interpretation, or we have to allow for uh, allow for that gray area, right? Like like you know the Roman governor versus Pilate, right? Um, you know, are they, are they correct if they say uh, a specific, uh, you know, James, right? Or something like that. Uh, or, or, well, it wouldn't be John because John doesn't refer to himself as John. But I mean, you, you know, if, if there's a specific, you know, uh, names thrown in there, I don't know that they're necessarily wrong, though. They could be right. We just don't know. And so then it's like, well, give them the 30 seconds. Sure. But I think the amount of interpretation required is not binary, right? It's a continuum from a whole lot of interpretation to very, very little. So something like Roman governor and pilot, I think very little interpretation is required to know that they're the same person. 
Whereas in this case, you would need a whole lot of interpretation to have any idea who these two specific disciples are. And I don't know. Well, in an impossibility, right? You you don't know who these other two disciples are. Um, therefore, if they provide you a specific name, they might be right. Hmm. I don't know. It seems to me that if they might be right, they can't be wrong. It does sound that way, doesn't it? But then, <laughs> but see, the, then, because uh, then you're having to say, like, okay, so these two other disciples um, have to be one of the disciples, but not one of the ones named specifically. So then you're saying, like, oh, if they say some other proper name we, that we happen to know is not a disciple, then they're obviously incorrect. Yeah. And I don't know. Right, you, you, right. Could, you, you could hypothesize of a scenario where there's not 12 disciples, there's 100, and 99 of them are, are named specifically, and the quizzer says some other, yeah, I don't, you know. <sighs> well, and, and to be clear, I would not accept two proper names as a correct answer. I would, I would only say that they're not incorrect, uh, but they're not correct enough, and they, they have to finish out their 30 seconds uh, and say two other disciples. Now, are the sons of Zebedee disciples? Uh, I don't, I don't, I know. Uh, well, yes, actually. Um, so, there, so there's another one, like the sons of Zebedee, plural, so more than one. Um, so theoretically, if the quizzer says the names of two other disciples, and they use proper names, but you know that those are the sons of Zebedee, then <laughs> like, could you consider them to be incorrect on that part? No, because they're just duplicating themselves, right? So... That would be like me saying uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, um, Nathaniel, Thomas, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, Thomas. Like, that's fine. You can you can repeat the, the same part of the multiple answer multiple times. That doesn't make you wrong. Mm. Well, this is going to make a mess of another one of my questions that I've got coming up. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's just jump to that one. So the very next one. So... There are the words officials, Jewish officials, Jewish leaders, chief priests, high priest, all used. Yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure if it's in this specific gospel, but in other gospels you see um, like leaders of the people, Pharisees, um, a lot of different words for groups of people. And how much should we interpret whether or not those can be somewhat interchangeable versus incorrect versus not incorrect when we're ruling on something? Right. Well, I mean... Pretty much all of those are not interchangeable, the ones that you've you've listed, right? So officials versus Jewish officials are not interchangeable. Uh, you could, if, if the answer is Jewish officials, you could say officials. That would probably not be correct enough, but you're not wrong. Uh, so you've got your 30 seconds. Uh, the other way around might be wrong, but it might be right, depending upon if it's actually Jewish officials. So, like, if the answer is officials and the person says Jewish officials, well, maybe it's Jewish officials. It could be Roman officials. Uh, it's probably Jewish officials. Uh, but so there there are some differences there, right? But there's a difference between, uh, say, uh, Jewish leaders versus Jewish officials. That's probably one I would be okay with. Uh, but then there's a diff, there's absolutely a difference between Jewish leaders slash officials and chief priests. And there's a very big difference between chief priests and the high priest, right? So I would consider all of the, all, all those three groups to be uh, different enough from each other that if you said one versus the other, you would be immediately incorrect. That makes sense. But like, see, like, like here, you have more biblical knowledge on who these people are than I do. And so 
if I'm not able to make a call of how, like, which Venn diagram a certain naming of people fits within, I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards calling a quizzer incorrect for giving any of them that's not the correct one. Right, exactly. And that kind of goes back to my point about, you know, the same man who used to sit and beg, right? It, it's kind of the, I, I, I think we have to get, I, I think we can't be strictly literalist. Uh, I think we have to have some knowledge. Uh, I, I think we know that the Roman governor is Pilate. So we accept Pilate as not being wrong, but not, not correct enough, right? Uh, yeah. Similarly, similar situation here. Interesting. All of these things kind of make me pull my hair out as a quiz master, but would have made me just um, drum my fingers maniacally if I was a quizzer. Yes, uh, many challenge opportunities. I would just be making a list of these as I head off to um, Champs or Great West or Internationals. Indeed. All right, All right. let's switch text to hopefully some that are a little more fun. This next one is from 1144, and I've called it the implied feat question. Um, actually, no, it's not a wait. Sorry, it is not 11.44, it is 12.3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the quizzer says she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. So that's a case where you can very clearly infer that the quizzer was was referring to them, meaning Jesus' feet, and I didn't require them to restate his feet again. Um, You could probably theorize of a situation where it's a little bit less clear. And so I'm kind of asking like when a specific word is restated once or um, restated a few times, how much are you going to make that quizzer say all of the wording versus kind of more of an implication? Sure. I think uh, I would count them absolutely correct with uh, them with her hair. Uh, As long as it's from an English perspective, as long as it's clear the uh, the article uh, is, or, or the the antecedent of the word is is obvious and can only be one thing. I would just immediately accept it. Uh, well, assuming that assuming that the information that they're replacing with the the other word is not a unique word, um, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, what if it was a unique word said twice? Do they need to say the unique word twice? No, so long as they've said it once. Okay. Um, I agree. So here's one. You're going to hate this question, and I don't like it, but I probably think it's more acceptable than you do. So from 9-7, there was the interrogative question, what word means sent? With the answer being this clarified to Siloam. Right. This word means sent. The pool of Siloam. So, okay, what word means Siloam? This now, what, word... what word means sent? Sorry, I have it typed wrong. Oh, okay. So the the question is, what word means sent from 9-7? You are correct. I hate this question. Um, but yes, the answer is this, and then the the, the word is Siloam. Actually, you know what? I, I No, I hate it, but, but, I, but I hate it a little bit. It's a tiny amount of hate. It's not a big amount of hate. I don't love it because the word that means sent, um, like... It's definitely clear that it's Salome and it's right there, but it, it still feels like a little bit of an extra ju- jump for the quizzer to know like what is a- actually being asked of them. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't hate this as much as you think I do. I guess. Um, oh. Maybe, it'll, maybe it'll survive being marked and looked over. Yeah, who marked it? Did I mark it? No, I marked it. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. I, I asked it. Quizzer got it, but I marked it. Just, I, it didn't feel great. 
so I wanted yeah. to look it over. Well, I don't like it because I don't like I don't like the 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 way that it jumps around like that. I don't like uh, I want things to just flow mentally. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems perfectly valid to me. All right. Well, moving on to twelve thirty five. I don't remember what the specific question was, but the very end of the verse is, whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Ah, I remember now. It's the interrogative question, who does not know where they're going? And the quizzer said, whoever walks at night. And I ultimately called them wrong, because I think the verse talks about, you're only going to have the light a little while longer, walk while you have the light. Um, And I, I thought that Walking at night was not the the me- the necessary meaning of the verse, but it was walking in the dark. Right. And I required the quizzer to say the dark and not at night. What do you think? I agree. Uh, there's also, within context here, it never talks about day or night. Uh, it only talks about light and dark. Uh, so, yes, there is darkness at night relative to the daytime, uh, <laughs> but... You know, clearly they're not talking, uh, clearly Jesus is not talking about, you know, sunset is coming and then nighttime will be here and you're going to stumble around. I mean, he's talking about, you know, lightness and darkness in a spiritual sense. Um, but again, that's interpretation. And so I'll put that aside. Uh, but here, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they're talking about light and dark, not day and night. All right. I agree. And I'm always glad when I made a call that seems right after the fact. So 1139. You'll probably be happy to hear I did not ask this question. Uh, the question was, the sister of the dead man whom? With the answer being Lazarus. No, the answer... Wait. I don't even remember who the... Here. The answer being Martha. <laughs> the sister of the dead man whom? And the answer is Martha. That is an evil question. That I, is I saw deeply it confusing. And, and did not ask it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's... It's valid in the most literal of senses, but if you examine the misleading part that makes a question invalid, it's pretty misleading. Yes, very much so. All right, 1932. Here's a fun one. Broke what? This is this was written as an interrogative question. Uh, yes, it was written as an interrogative question, but the answer is the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. Yeah, I think that's a multiple answer. I, I'm inclined to agree. Because, I mean, it's basically two sets of legs with an and between them. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to think that's a multiple answer question. All right. Here's one I heard about secondhand, but I believe there was a challenge on it. So in chapter 11, verse 38, it says, It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And the quizzer said, um, Stone laid across the opening and stone laid across the doorway. And I believe they eventually got to entrance. Um, and the initial ruling was incorrect for saying opening and or doorway. And so it's kind of, what is your threshold for incorrectness Mm. here? Doorway is the one that, that kind of all of everything else you said, I'm, I'm fine with doorway. I start to get a little bit, mm, not really. It's not because a doorway almost, it's like, well, that's where a door would go. Hence why they call it a doorway. And it's definitely not a doorway. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'd probably be okay with it. Yeah, I try to be as lenient as I can reasonably be and let a quizzer challenge to have them count incorrect if possible, if they want to. Right. Um, here's, I got a challenge on this one, which it was, it was a challenge I didn't like because it, it had no bearing on what was happening. Like the quizzer was not going to get this right, 
regardless of what happened, but I'm not, I'm not considering that when I'm ruling on the challenge, and I think it was a well-worded challenge. So in 1825, it's a situation question, and the quote is, you aren't one of his disciples, are you? So they asked him, and it's written as a, to whom was it said, which is Simon Peter, and there's a why, which, and the why was Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. Oh, that's not really a, well, okay, so they asked, so, right. And the word so was what I looked at and said, I think it's fine as a why. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, they didn't ask him this because he was, like, standing there warming himself, but because he just still happened to be there. That's why. You know, so it's like, it's a it's a loose why. Yeah. Well, I think it's because he was still standing there warming himself. I think it's the still. Um but but I, certainly, if you're gonna if you're gonna say still is the answer, you need all of the all of the, the remaining clause there. So yeah. Yep. Yep. We might have already hit this next one. So when a pronoun is in the answer of a situation or an interrogative question, and when the quizzer is clarifying that pronoun, does using other names that are not in context take them out of context? And it sounds like no, unless it gets pretty wordy in their description, just like Pilot and the same man who uses it, sitting back. Right. Yeah. Okay. I had a fun, not a fun one. A, a quizzer was quoting a situation question and was kind of going back around on the quotation part of it and eventually finished it correctly but barged right ahead into the rest of the verse. And I didn't know, much like on the reference question, the quizmaster is not necessarily obligated to shove in the what is your question if the quizzer is not pausing. How obligated is the quizmaster to shove in with the quote is complete on a I situation think, question? I think it has to be consistent um, between the two of them, between the reference and the situation question. So I try to jump in as like I try to interject, even if they're taking a breath I would, and it's obvious they're continuing. I will still jump in to try to like say, what's your question? Or, you know, like, like what is complete or something like that. Uh but, uh, yeah, if they are just completely going a uh, hundred miles an hour and you can't jump in without interrupting them, then you can't jump in without interrupting them. And I, I think that was the case here because there, there was no room in there for me to say, quote, is complete. But then the problem for me arose because now they're saying other stuff, part of it, which is answering the situation question, part of it, which is going back on the quotation. And if I at any point say, quote, is complete now, it's incredibly misleading. Yeah. So I just kind of had to sit out the rest of the time not saying quotas complete when it was, in fact, complete. Yeah. And I think that was the correct move. And um, I don't know, like, if I was challenged that I didn't say quotas complete, can I say, like, you didn't give me room? When I don't know if it's, I mean, well, it's not, I don't know how are, spelled out are, those things are in the room. Are Quizmaster prompts challengeable? So, like, if I... Oh, if abso- I, if, absolutely. If I don't say more or again, is it challengeable? So more and again are weird, even though all of the prompts do come under the quizmaster must. But if a quizmaster prompts like "What is your question?" at a wrong point, like that's challengeable all day long. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I agree. If it's at a wrong point, but then that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, like I think we're in a no-win scenario for the quizmaster um, unless we say the quizmaster must interrupt the quizzer. You're right. So it's it's weird because the clarifying the pronoun he, what is your question, quote is complete. Like, there are very, very specific points at which all those have to be said, whereas more and again are a little bit more general. But technically, they all have the same language. Quizmaster must, and then it doesn't specifically say, like, 
Well, the Quizmaster doesn't have to. The Quizmaster's just barging ahead and talking real fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is interesting. Well, maybe we'll have some some listeners email in with their thoughts on how Quizmasters should prompt on both what is your question and quote is complete when a quizzer is just forging head fast, but also what sort of rules do you want to see in the rulebook um, around the Quizmaster prompting for more and again. Yeah. Now, I I very much want more and again to just go away um, altogether and never be a prompt that the Quizmaster can use, but mm. I, think, I think that would simplify things so, 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 so much. And I think the amount of information provided to a quizzer will be a tiny, tiny bit less than it is now, and probably far trumped by the inconsistency of how more and again are used. Yeah. Well, we've got two more, and these are both yours, Griffin. You want to lead them off? Well, I don't even remember them because I was in snark mode uh, when I was writing them up. So let's see if I can remember. So these are marked questions. So 1127. So I should just be able to look this up. So this is a multiple answer question that I said is not a multiple answer question. It's from 1127. I believe that you are whom? The Messiah, the Son of God. To me, that's two different titles for Jesus, who is one person. It's not a multiple answer. So what if I said, I believe that you are what? The Messiah, the Son of God. You are what? Are you more than one what? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. So if 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 you change the if you change the interrogative to a what, I am mysteriously convinced that it is a multiple answer question, and I hate the fact that that is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what it definitely is a catch-all, but it's it's used in place of many, many words that we can't use, you know? I believe that you are what many qualities or what many characteristics. But I can right. see how well, the use of the interrogative word whom can be misleading because it, it does imply two people and not two qualities of one person. Right, and because of the thing of, I think the thing about the what is to say, like, it's a title. Like, Jesus has many titles. Uh, so what are some of your titles, Jesus? Well, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, right? Those are two titles. Okay, great, that's multiple answer. Uh, but who are you? Uh, I am the Messiah. I'm the son of God. Well, that's one, that's one thing. Um, that is, you know, the, the son of the Trinity. That's, that's the one, uh, hypostasis of, of, of God. So yeah, <laughs> I think it, <laughs> interestingly enough, it does make a huge difference. So let's say the question is, I believe that you are what? And the answer, and the answer is the Messiah comma. And then I just looked up this definition of Messiah, the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation prophesied in the Hebrew Bible. Like, that that would clearly be a clarification of a single answer? Yes. Well, oh, gosh. And see, now, okay, no, now, okay. Now I retract everything I said. Because, yes, these are two different titles, but the Son of God means the Messiah. Uh, okay, see, and here we're back to the whole interpretation thing. So even with the what, I don't think it, it, it should be a multiple answer. Interesting. Oh, now I'm frustrated with myself. So I think a clear way to see that I believe that you are whom is not a multiple answer is no one would ever write who is to come into the world as a multiple answer going from the other side of this verse. Right. Um, because that's very clearly referring to the Messiah, the Son of God, one person who is going to come into the world. Um, uh, I, I might, I, I would write, I believe that you are what is a multiple answer. I don't think it is clearly a clarification. I think it's enough of a different but descriptor. But it is, though, it is, but, uh, well, yeah. So now we're going to have to Tell you what, tell you what, if you switch it to a what, I would be more okay with it being a multiple answer. 
Um, but if you don't switch it to a what, if you say, here's the thing, the easy way to solve this is delete the question. It is, but, but barring that, leave it as a whom and just change it to an interrogative. You can also do that. And it's testing the material. That's, that's very true. All right. So how about the last one? All right. So this one is 1213. And I wrote, I literally am not joking. Uh, I, I literally wrote Griffin hates this. So let's see if uh, Griffin can remember why. Uh, so the question is from 1213 and is bl- uh, blessed is whom he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Well, it's a split multiple answer. So that's one reason you don't like it. That is one reason I, I that's true. But I would have said something like, you know, Griffin doesn't like split stuff. Um, why does Griffin hate this so much? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Blessed is whom is it because the whom is referring to the exact same person i think it very well is because i mean it it, it is one it is one this this again goes back to interpretation it is one person who is being described twice uh it is he who comes in the name of the lord the king of israel that's one person uh so in a way is it really a multiple answer but what if it said like Blessed is the Messiah. Blessed is the carpenter. Or, you know, like, like just because it's referring to the, that, that we know it's referring to the same person and it has a, the who interrogative, you wouldn't consider it to be a multiple answer? Yeah, because it's not, there's not multiple who's. It's one who that's described in two different ways. And very similarly, like the whole, you know, worn fabric, uh, thing. Uh, it's, it, was it fabric? I already forgot. Um, garment. Garment, right? Like, like worn garment described as being worn out in a couple of different ways. It's like, well, that's not a multiple answer. It's still just one garment. Um, it's described, you know, a couple of different ways. Uh, similarly here, it's like if you're saying the who, there's really only one who. Uh, it's uh, the one who post assists the son of, of uh, the, the son of the Trinity. Well, now I want to go through and look at all the multiple answers in our question set that end in who and possibly break my brain doing so. <laughs> Right. Definitely an entertaining exercise. And I don't even, I don't even want to know what would happen if questions of this form were challenged internationals. I think, I think people would combust. I think, unfortunately, there were, there were, there would be some people who would find it very interesting and intellectually stimulating. And I think a very cool event uh, and others who would just be overwhelmed by it and make arbitrary decisions that were worse than actually thinking this through. Sure. Well, those are all the scenarios, I think, that we gathered from the meet. And if any of the listeners were at the meet and have any other scenarios that they encountered that they want to email in and have us ruminate over, please do so to iq at cbqz.org. So now that meet five is done, the next thing kind of on the PNW calendar is the Great West Invitational that's happening in, it's only like three weeks. So pretty quickly, we'll be heading off to Alberta, Canada to join with Canadian Midwest and Western Canada. We're going to do a little bit of prep for that on March 30. We've got a practice at Alliance Bible Church in Covington. So we're inviting the top 25 quizzers year-to-date to that so that we have a little, a few more quizzers there who can get a taste of what it's what Great West is like. So we do have 20 qualifiers, but the top 25 can show up and practice and have some fun for a day. Let's look to next year, shall we? Yeah, so uh, coming up... Uh, it- we are getting close to the end of our 2018-2019 season, and that means our 2019-2020 season is very close upon us. 
Uh, although it may seem a fair bit away, we need to start be, uh, start thinking about uh, what's going to be happening within that season. So to that end, we have put together what we believe is a final uh, key verse list for Pacific Northwest. Uh, an email was sent out earlier this morning to uh, all the coaches and uh, all the officials and I think a few other folks uh, that are on sort of that leadership list uh, that with a reference to the key verse list. So uh, at this point, if you're a quizzer and you're looking forward to next year, uh, you can start asking your uh, coaches for that key verse list. It does exist. We do, we do have a schedule of meets that's proposed. It's not finalized yet. Uh, that's also out to uh, coaches. Uh, so parents, you can ask your coach uh, to give you a copy of that. Those, those dates are not fixed in stone. They're still going to be kind of flexed a little bit. I, I, I know Lighthouse was kind of eyeing the, the February meet. Uh, EBC is eyeing the October meet, but maybe moving it up a week or, or back a week, that kind of thing. We're kind of looking at the idea of, of district championships, maybe being at a, at a camp as a destination, a Christian camp up in the Cascades. Uh, it would be kind of a fun event for everybody. So we're kind of looking into those ideas. Uh, but this is, the schedule is out there. We don't have a study schedule yet, but that's probably coming in the next few weeks once we kind of lock down the, the, the actual meet schedule. We also do, uh, you know, this is probably not going to be super interesting for people who are not quite as geeky as me, but we do have a new set of proposed bylaws that are available uh, to review if you are a coach or a wannabe coach or uh, an official or anybody involved in leadership. You definitely want to, even though it may sound a little on the boring side, you definitely want to read through these bylaws and make sure you're comfortable with them. And if you have any kind of questions about them uh, to any degree, we definitely want to hear from you. So email us at iq at cbt.org. And of course, that goes for all things related to uh, quizzing this show or anything in general. Even if you want to toss like a doctrine or theology question our way, uh, we would love to field that. So send the uh, send your emails and comments and questions and thoughts to iq at cbc.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, and our address is at Inside Quizzing on Twitter. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Bye.